podcast for December 31st, 2009. This is uh, our last show of the year. Um, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of interesting stuff over the past 12 months, and hopefully some interesting stuff over the next 12 months. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, what happened last year and uh, what happened over the last couple of weeks. But first, let me go around the table and introduce the guys. Uh, Mr. Jeff Simpson is not with us at the moment. Um, but uh, we have Mr. Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year. <laughs> Dr. David Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey there. Hey. Um, my name's Hunter Hilligus, and you can find me at RateVegas.com. Um, let's start off at the top talking a little bit about City Center. Uh, the complex opened over the course of uh, the first half of December, um, starting with the Vidara Hotel, following that, the Crystals Retail Complex, the Mandarin Oriental Hotel, and then finally the Aria Resort Casino, which was, I don't know, about two weeks ago now. Um, I was there. Chuck was there. I saw Dr. Dave there. Um, we sort of got to experience the, the ins and outs of Aria's opening. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time personally. Um, some of that's been chronicled in uh, various blog postings, and um, there's more to come on that front, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, I, wanted, I actually want to talk to Chuck about this for a minute because I had had the privilege of seeing Aria a few times before it opened, and I know Dave toured it as well, and we, I think, both talked about that on previous shows. But this was, Chuck, this was your first chance to be inside and see the place and, um, you know, really kind of match up what everything you'd heard and read and been told with reality. So I'm really curious um, what your impressions were um, of Aria and of the complex in general. I was uh, ready at the outset to not like Aria. Uh, I was baffled by the marketing campaign. I was baffled by the by a lot of the conception of it. I'm you know not really a huge fan of the big uh, MGM modern movement. Uh, so I went into the thing with a lot of uh, hesitation and and worry. Uh, the photos that I had seen, the videos I had seen, which we had discussed previously, uh, exuded a very kind of uh, grim coldness, very dark, uh, not 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 having a lot of life or or excitement to it at all. I was pleasantly surprised, devastated, almost, and enthralled by how much fun I had in that property. Uh, it is every corner is a sight to behold. Uh, the the and the way. The way the sites are beholding are completely different from ways that it has been done before. So much discussion uh, leading up to the opening of ARIA has been framed in the specter of Steve Wynn. Everybody is discussing how is it going to compare to Encore or Wynn Las Vegas, you know, in terms of being the, the, the newest stuff that's out there. And also in the discussion about how is MGM going to – 
to position the property within their their batting order. You know, is this going to knock off Bellagio from the top of their pecking order? Uh, and and I, the funny thing is, is like they found a sweet spot in in the strike zone that I don't think anybody really had seen or thought about them finding. And to me, it was just really incredibly refreshing. They've taken a lot of the things that you've seen at M Resort and, and uh, Mirage redesign and completely blown the whole thing up to a uh, stunning proportion, a very artistic, a very uh, almost avant-garde uh, way of putting together a resort. I think uh, something that David mentioned, Dr. David mentioned on one of his blog posts about how uh, you know they integrated the art with uh, the art the art project where they bought the art and brought it in with just the entirety of the property itself being art in a, such a seamless and fantastic way that you just couldn't really tell what was art to the frame and what is art as in just a very artistic uh, layout of the property and aria the way I see it in a nutshell is it does not compete with Encore or Wynn or Bellagio. It is, in and of itself, its own property, its own identity, its own way of doing things, its own, it's going to have its own group of followers, its own, uh, uh, its own peck, its own peg on the board. It's going to find its own space. And I think it's, it's like pieces of, of, it's going to take pieces of the hard rock crowd and, and the palms crowd and maybe even cannibalize some of its own uh, uh, places like Mandalay Bay possibly to a degree and uh, some more of the, the hipper kind of bars of um, Mirage and, and, and bring itself into its own very contemporary, very young, very youthful, exuberant, uh, now kind of casino. I, I'm just I'm blown away by the beauty of the place, the complexity of the spaces, the ease of which you can find stuff, and the fact that it, it's unlike Bellagio. It's even though it's taken a lot of the chefs from Bellagio, it seems like it's taken the 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 uh, the air, like the air air with an e out of their tires. Uh, they're presented in a much more kind of contemporary setting, a much more approachable and less. Uh, less uh, dollars keeping me away from going in there kind of vibe. It's, it's, I think it's a fantastic place. I urge everybody to please go and stay there. I'm not just being stupid and hyper, hyperbolic, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really a pleasure to behold. Yeah, you know, um, I too had a, a great time uh, staying at Aria, and it, it's one thing to see the place without any customers, and it, it's something completely different when it comes to life, and it's full of people, and um, I, I really liked it. It's, it's different, um, and, you know, I just perfectly honest as a, as a consumer, um, I have, you know, often I've stayed uh, in a lot of different hotels. I've gra- I gravitate towards a few when it's basically if I'm choosing for the sake of my own uh, preference, I gravitate towards a few. Um, but I, you know, I think Aria is going to be on my list of places to, you know, when I'm 
planning a trip and I want a place to have a good time to check, you know, to see what the rates are like and see what the availability is like. It's definitely earned, it earned a notch because um, I had a really great time. It was fun. The room was very comfortable. Um, you know, they had their fair share of uh, little snafus. And, I, you know, I, I think if you got an honest operations person there, they would tell you they wish they had another two weeks uh, to clean everything up and get everything going. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a disaster or anything. The staff was very patient and was working hard to make sure that people were able to sort of overcome some of those, some of those problems. Um, you know, I had a blast. I can't wait to go back, honestly. And, and not just Aria, but city center as a, as a complex. Um, I, I also stayed a night at Mandarin Oriental which was um, great. I'm really glad that I did. I originally was going to save it for the future, but I tacked on a night at the end, and it was a great experience. Their their service that they're sort of known for, um, you know, definitely in full effect. They it was very it was very impressive. They definitely take very good care of you there. The room was very comfortable. I would I would love to stay there again. Um, you know, obviously it's a higher price point, so for um, for people that are used to, you know, less expensive rooms in Las Vegas, they may not consider it right off the bat. But um, for, you know, especially for some kind of special occasion or, or to give it a try, I would, I would at least tell people that they should consider it. I mean, it's a great, great property. It's right there um, on the strip, and, and the service is just incredible. And it's got some of the coolest uh, individual spots. I mean, I, I know that the the three of us. And, and Dave, your lovely wife, we had a cocktail at the, at the bar there. It was just, that bar is just magnificent. I mean, it's a fantastic, wonderful place to hang out. One of my absolute favorite places, that is one of my new absolute favorite places in all of Las Vegas is the Mandarin Bar. Anybody who's staying anywhere near there and is looking for a place to have a drink, Make sure you leave your tennis shoes at home and put on yeah. some uh, some normal footwear, some shoes or something, and, and maybe a shirt with a collar, and, and just go there. And at, least, at the very least, you'll get to get a taste of what you might uh, enjoy should you choose to stay at Mandarin Oriental in the future. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, but, yeah, that that is – that is our, they do have a uh, dress code for the bar there, and uh, Tim Dressen, uh, make sure you bring your dress shoes because uh, they won't let you win with your tennis shoes. Um, I mean, the whole experience was, was fun. I had some problems at Vidara that I wrote about on my blog, and um, actually today I got a lengthy response from the property's general manager going point by point about some of my concerns and some of my problems. Um, you know, if it was great to get a um, to get a personalized response like that that really went through each item. And if they, you know, if they, I'll, if if they fix those problems, that would be great. I, I sounds like they really do care. Uh, and you know, I'll definitely try Vidara again. And and I, you know, I definitely understand. Some people might not think it's very fair to review a hotel that is brand new and not open. And I can I can I can understand that sentiment to some degree. Um, on the flip side, though, my argument just would be that they are charging normal rates, um, and so you know I don't think they're completely absolved of um, their failings. But you know that's why uh, give it another try in another six months and and see if it's completely humming by then. One thing I definitely did notice, though, I've, I, having stayed at Vidara twice now, I really miss 
a casino. I like, you know, going to Las Vegas and staying in a hotel without a casino. Um, it's, I, it may be for some people, but it's not really for me, I don't think. Um, I like uh, having a casino there, that sort of energy that it brings. And, you know, not just because I need a fix of uh, Wheel of Fortune at 4 in the morning. It's just, um, you know, it's fun. It's fun. That's part, I mean, that's part of why I love the casinos is just the energy of the people being there. And, and not having it in Vidara, you know, it's the, Vidara is a is a very nice hotel, but um, yeah. it doesn't have that. It's different. And that's, you know, by design. But um, it personally for me, I'm not sure if non-gaming resorts are um, my cup of tea. If Fedora has, excuse has, me, Hunter, Fedora has a couple of of problems. You know, in addition to uh, the litany that you outlined in your letter and all that was responded to, uh, it it it. The room, the layout of the rooms is problematic. I I do not see how. They could have conceived that as being a condo hotel. It, yes. It's too small to live in. No one. It's like they're, it's smaller than a studio apartment. And to try and jam a hotel, I mean, a, a bedroom and a living room and a kitchen at in there, it's just it just does not make any sense. It, it seems like it's like a flawed design. They should have made the rooms twice as large. You know, if they were serious about doing this, it, it just didn't seem like right. And and. The layout of the rooms was not very well thought out at all. Like, there's a way to uh, – when you walk into the room, there, there's a closet way in the corner that the door swings out and it kind of hits the bed. And you, to get your luggage onto the luggage rack, you have to, like, pick it up over the top of the bed and, like, throw it into, the, <laughs> into a small hole inside of the thing. You can't really get the doors open. You know, the, 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 the lights on the side of the sconces on the, on the bed, they're on these, like, old, like, podium microphone, the, the springy things, and they all, my, my room, both of them fell down, no matter what. So if you had the light on, it would fall down lit. Like, if you turn the reading light on, it would fall down and it would sit on top of the pillow with the light on. You know, and that to me is like a recipe for the place burning down. And I'm sure it's not going to be long before something like that happens, and we see those lights go away. But you know, if you have, if you're looking for going to the casino, going to a hotel, going to vacation, don't stay at Vidara. You know, it just doesn't seem right. Go stay at Aria. Go stay at Bellagio or uh, Monte Carlo or, or, or something else. It just doesn't. It's just not exactly. There's something about it. It's not right. It's if you're going on a business trip or something, sure, but I, I, I don't see it being a uh, a destination unto itself. Yeah, I I uh, I can't really disagree with you too much. I did go to the check out the spa at Vidara, which was uh, very nice, small, but uh, very very nice. The staff was awesome. I mean, it was a very cool spot, um, and uh, you know, it's very close to Bellagio. It's a very easy walk, but I. Uh, you know, you have a choice, especially in the room rate market we're in now. I mean, you can stay at Aria for the same, if not less, depending on the right offer. So I I would definitely recommend, um, you know, <clears throat> funnel. if you're listening to this show, you probably like casinos. You should probably uh, try Aria first. That would at least be my recommendation. Um, you know, Dr. Dave, you have seen, you know, you've, 
been able to watch several of these openings take place over the last you know few years in Las Vegas. How would you say this went? Uh, I mean, this was a city center is a really big deal for Nevada, especially as a job generator in this market. Um, a lot of people were looking very closely at city center and the whole process. Um, you know, how did it go for the company? Is it uh, did it is this a uh, this a big success so far? I think it went really well. They got a lot of national attention. And also, I think they were able to keep the message focused on what it was to their benefit to keep the message focused on. You didn't really hear anybody mentioning the Harmon, which is kind of odd because it's right in front of Aria. You know, I didn't really hear much about that, about any of the you know issues there with the construction and the rebar problems and the fact that it's half the size it was supposed to be and that it's not opening with the rest of the project. So I think they're very successful at getting the message out there, which is that, hey, this is a new place to come. And uh, I think also they did a good job of getting the lead environmental message out too. So I think from that perspective, they, they did a really good job. Yeah, you know, um, I too don't think I heard anybody mention the Harmon. I don't, I don't know if the average person even realizes um, that it's a not even open. I mean, they, it is lit, and you know, they may say, "What's that building?" But um, it, it definitely wasn't uh, a topic that I heard brought up often by almost anyone um, over that week. So, you know, that that story, which seemed like a pretty bad black mark on the whole project seems to uh, they seem to have sort of <clears throat> washed it away at least for now i i agree um i don't know i i, I think they did a nice job i mean they it was a, a massive undertaking um a lot of a lot of hard work and uh i i can the easiest way for me to measure it is that i had a really good time and yeah. you know that that's sort of my bottom line i had a great time and i, I can't wait to go back yeah, from the global perspective, I think the other thing that worked, some ways worked in the company's favor, some ways worked against the company, was the fact that the national debate became more about the economy. And really, a lot, at least a lot of the reporters I talked to were asking questions about everything but city center itself. Everybody wanted to know, well, is this going to affect the rest of the economy? Is it going to save Las Vegas? Is it going to cannibalize? And first of all, those are questions you can't give a true-false answer to because nobody knows because we have no idea what's going to happen in the future. Second of all, most of them were not about city center or Aria. You know, I I don't think anybody asked me about the architecture or the art or even the lead certification, and those are three things that I think are significant when you're looking at design. So I, mm -hmm. from that, I think it was very interesting from that, from that perspective that the national media looked at it and it didn't really matter to them that this casino was so different from other ones. They just were looking at the economics angle. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting, too, with the general public if if they really see ARIA as at least, um, you know, if they really do see it as something different, at least in an explicit sense. You know, there may be design features and um, that sort of thing that have, that sort of create an implicit understanding in people's minds that it's different and that it and they like it and they don't really know why but they like it more than some other place or they like it less um, but it'll be interesting to see if there's actually a narrative that that emerges with the public as it being explicitly different and new or whether that is you know something that you really only get if you pay enough attention to care about the designers and the architects and that sort of thing 
I have a question I'd like to ask the both of you guys. Uh, with the new Aria City Center complex opening, how do you see it affecting, and who do you see it affecting the most in terms of other properties in Las Vegas? Who are going to be the big winners? Who are going to be the big losers? How do you see this, let's say, uh, just to throw, throw the crystal ball up in the air and say one year out, two year out, five year out, how you see this thing kind of affecting the, the current landscape? I, I definitely have some, some very half-baked thoughts, and I'm actually I'd love to hear what Dr. Dave thinks, but just on a real high level, um, I think part of that depends on MG Mirage themselves. If they shuffle a lot of their high-end players from Bellagio to Aria, um, then, of course, Bellagio will suffer. Um, and, you know, that's part of that casino marketing relationship and those hosts, and a lot of them have moved to Aria. Um, you know, it depends. If they, may, they may hurt other properties by moving people over. Um, I, think, I don't think Wynn Resorts will be that impacted, though I think there definitely are some, some people that come to Las Vegas that want to stay in, quote-unquote, one of the nicest places. They don't care about a casino. They just need to come to Vegas. Some of those customers that I think a lot of them, I know some people like this, and a lot of the times they would just go to win um, automatically due to brand recognition and knowing that it's a great hotel. Some of those may now go to Mandarin, um, since it's also a very well-known brand. Um, uh, Four Seasons may be impacted somewhat by Mandarin's opening. Um, I think Aria will try to lure some people that might ordinarily go to the Hard Rock or the Palms um, to Aria, because I think there's a little bit more of a youth emphasis than there is uh, at Bellagio. Uh, honestly, one property that uh, a couple of years ago I would say would have been really hurt would be the Mirage, um, because I think in terms, of, in terms of the way I interpret the Aria design, it, I think it is almost more pulling from their stable than, than Bellagio's. But the Mirage is kind of, in the last few months especially, um, has almost seems like they've changed their tune a little bit, and they're now going for a slightly lower-end customer. Instead of going for, like, the mid-high, they're now going for, like, the mid-mid to the mid-low. So I wonder if it's going to be as impactful as it would be. So, you know, how about how that, how's that for an answer that's completely all over the map? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think, Dave? Well, I think, first of all, you can't really predict with any degree of certainty because we have no idea what's going to happen. If the H1N1 virus mutates or something, everybody's going to be hurt. You know, on the other hand, if gas prices drop and travel gets easier, everyone's going to be successful. But, you know, I think a lot of it depends on how they market the property. They really have to work hard to get people to come here. Obviously, it looks a lot different from other stuff, and 37, 37 million people a year who've been coming to Vegas really like the other stuff. So they've got to either convince them that, hey, this is good too, and you're going to like this better, or they've got to find some new people. If you look at the general structure of how things have worked out, I think it's going to be a domino effect, and the people at the bottom end of the food chain are going to be the ones who are hurt worse. You know, if people just wanted to value and they just wanted the cheapest rooms, then Sahara would probably be buying the Bellagio from MGM Mirage. <laughs> and Hollywood would be buying Harris Entertainment instead of vice versa. You know, so I think really what we've seen is that the higher-end places have lowered the room rates, 
that's put a lot of pressure on the lower level properties because they can't lower them too far past thirty dollars a night and really they've got no they've had no choice except for to close a lot of rooms you know now i know that they've closed rooms at the higher end properties too but probably not as many so i think really that's it's probably going to create that domino effect um i have this idea that i'm looking at if we can talk a little bit about what's going to be ahead in 2010 I was yeah. work, I'm working this in a business press column that will be out, I think, a week from Monday. But my idea is that you're going to see more of the prefix sort of thing that kind of cost certainty at both the high end and the low end. So at the low end, you've got the all-you-can-eat, all-day stuff at the buffet. And at the high end, you've got the prefix. And probably, I'm also guessing, with the resort fee thing, I was even – sort of just throwing out some blue sky ideas here with what if you ran a hotel where you had a a standard rate, a gold rate, and a platinum rate, and the standard rate just gets you a room, and that's it. Gold rate gets you the room plus Internet service, plus bottles of water, plus gym access, plus, you know, a minimal dining credit, and then platinum gets you all that stuff plus a huge dining credit and spa services credit and a big resort credit. I don't know. That's just kind of the way I see things shaking out because people really do seem to want convenience and it seems a lot more convenient. And I see maybe some convergence with all-inclusive resorts and cruise ships where they already do that a lot. I think, you know, I think people have the resort fee as a concept is interesting to me um, because like most people, I kind of loathe the idea of an extra fee that seems somewhat invented uh, for stuff that they were already giving you. Um, so, you know, I'm not a fan of the idea, but it seems like it's here to stay. Um, obviously, you know, similar to the airlines, they seem to want to compete on that top line price and then they tack on a bunch of extra fees that, um, are just sort of standard and, and that's the way it seems to be going. I think, you know, it would be interesting to see if a hotel came along and maybe did that, but rebranded it. I think resort fee as a, as a name of a concept kind of has a negative stigma now. I think, you know, the way that the kind of idea that you outlined multiple tiers, where it really sounds like you're getting something versus, and you know, maybe the the medium tier, you get a guaranteed better view. I don't know. There's all kinds of ways you can mix and match those things. But, you know, that to me, that sounds better as a consumer than, oh, here's this resort fee, and what's it for? Oh, well, it's for a bunch of stuff you're not going to use. And, uh, you know, but oh, it's it's, uh, mandatory. Oh, okay, thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so, you know, you know I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I've had a negative experience with resort fees myself and kind of getting shocked with that. So, you know, I think a lot of it's just how they market it. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, th- I think it's something to think about. So, uh, you know, the resort fee is, is a direct analog to the old Ticketmaster convenience charge. Uh, you know, the, the reason why uh, they've, they've done that, at least in the ticketing business, is they want to keep the advertised prices lower. Uh, so when you look in the, the paper, you see U2 tickets are going on sale. It's only $39. You know, the actual price of the ticket is 59 or 69 bucks when you add all the resort fees and the convenience charge and all that crap on top of it. And it's the same thing right now with, with, with online retailers. Is there's two reasons why they do this. They do this to keep the advertised prices as low and competitive as possible. And they also 
uh, retain a, a percentage that they do not have to share with online retailers. If somebody books a hotel room through Orbitz, uh, you know, Orbitz gets a percentage. This time they're only getting a percentage of $55 as opposed to a $70 hotel rate. So that extra 15 bucks, you know, they don't have to pay the 5% or whatever the commission fee is on that. Uh, now, regarding what Dave's saying, in the ticketing business, they have a thing that's called variable pricing. And what they try and do is uh, they're, they're still trying to figure out exactly how to do this. And they do this to some, some degree with, like, auctions and other ways is – uh, so the, like, the seats way in the back and the nosebleed will cost a dollar, but the seats mm -hmm. in the front will be whatever the market will dictate. And you kind of vary the prices between that. So depending on how many seats are left and riding the demand, almost the way that, uh, you know, hotels do this to a degree, you know, they change their rates, their rates right. probably like two or three times a day. Uh, you know, depending on what's left, yeah, they, they – they, figure out exactly what they want to get out of it. And if you throw in, hey, you get a T-shirt, hey, you get a buffet, you know, ticket uh, as well, you know, that's, it's, it's sound. But whether or not they can do this on a daily basis and really extract the value they're looking for, I, I'm not sure that uh, the technology is there for them to really be able to do this. Yeah, also it just seems like you've got so many people coming to Vegas for so many different reasons. I don't know why you can't use yield management to develop a more flexible price model. So, you you know, the people who just want a place to crash while they go and play craps or whatever they're doing in Vegas, you know, they don't, they don't care about getting a free newspaper every day or wireless or access to the gym. So why do you want right. to charge them for it? So it's not convenient. Well, I, I think with your, your – concept of you know more more fixed pricing and more sort of know what you're getting into before you go out i think i can imagine that catching on with you know a bunch of different segments of the market i mean that that makes sense to me especially you know at a time when people don't know you know the economic situation is not as um stable as it was i mean i, I that makes total sense to me so i as a prediction i uh i would not at all be surprised to see that come to pass um, it's, you know, interesting to see what else we're going to have going forward. I mean, you know, at what point is City Center going to be judged a success or failure, right? So quarter, uh, at some point in the first quarter, we will get fourth quarter results for these companies. And I think it would be ludicrous to um, really put too much weight on those numbers for MGM Mirage in regards to City Center because you're talking about two weeks of um, – of uh, results. I mean, that's ridiculous. So does that mean that the second quarter results are going to be their big, um, their big public showing? I mean, that, that seemed would make logical sense, but is that not enough time? I mean, Wall Street is not known for being patient uh, when it comes, you know, if they, if there's a sense that it's a weak market, I, I, it seems like they may get dinged. But, you know, so are, is that what we're looking at? I mean, is it going to be this, this first quarter results that we get sometime in, uh, you know, what is that, April, I guess? Uh, is that going to be when <clears throat> when City Center will be judged, at least on financial terms? And also, I'm kind of curious. I was wondering if we would see a press release from MGM Mirage, something along the lines of ARIA has welcomed its ex-guest already, that kind of thing, basically trying to show, like, hey, it's off to a bang and start. And we haven't seen that. And I don't know if that's because 
it's not or because they just aren't doing that for whatever reason. But I wouldn't I was almost expecting to see something along those lines given that it's such a high stakes project for the company that's been financially controversial. Um I was almost expecting to see something along those lines, but I haven't seen it pop out. What what do you think, Dave? I mean, you think that people are going to um just are going to prematurely judge, or do we need to give yeah. a lot of time? Well, I, I think people were judging it before it even opened, so I think they're going to continue to do that. I think it's unfortunate. You know, you've really got to wait and see what happens. And, you know, I I wouldn't judge it whether it's a success or failure based on the first two weeks. But I think inevitably some people will. And, you know, I think in actuality it's going to be the sort of thing that's evolving. There's really – there's no – well-defined parameters for saying is it a success or isn't it a success. So you could say either. A lot of it has to do, you know, the one thing that's thrown out there as well, it's got to drive more, you know, it's got to boost the visitation numbers. You know, well, that might happen and it might not happen, and it might have nothing to do with what they're doing at ARIA. So it's really hard to judge. Um, and I don't know whether there's, there's any really any other metric like um, – Occupancy rate, there's ways to fool around with that, where if you close off a block of wings, you don't count them. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think people are, are going to talk about it a lot. I think in the end, it's just going to be, does the property add as much to the company as it costs to build? And with right. that, you're not going to know for a really long time. Right. Well, uh, as as you said, people I'm sure will be uh, pontificating. As you know, we we might get in on that business a little bit too. Yeah. It's part of the fun. But um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I it'll you know, obviously this thing is built to be there for for the foreseeable future. You know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years more maybe. Um, so you know, it's got a long life ahead of it. Whether it will be owned by MG Mirage throughout all those years, who knows, right? But um, it will be interesting to see when they do start posting some numbers across their entire uh, across their entire portfolio to see, you know, if it gives us some idea of how things have shifted. It will be very interesting to look at those numbers. Uh, you know, of course, it, they they love to do these year over year comparisons, and you know, last year wasn't great, so you know, things might look good better compared to last year than a couple of years ago. So. As you said, there's all kinds of ways to make these numbers look good, bad, or ugly, depending on which side of the fence you want to uh, you want to come down on. So, a little bit more looking back, other than City Center, which at least for me, I think was undeniably the biggest story of 2009. Um, what else ranked uh, in 2009 as a as a big story? Is was there a bigger story? I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on. In in Nevada, obviously, uh, but in terms of gaming, I mean, what was the biggest what was the biggest story? I I have a hard time thinking of if something top city center, but maybe you guys have a different opinion. I thought of something. I think that the fizzling of the deconsolidation trend should be the story of 2009. You know, this time last year, we thought that MGM and Harris were, were going to sell off a lot of their properties. You know, we saw Harrah's without maybe Bally's and Paris, without the Rio, even maybe without Caesars. We saw MGM maybe selling Mirage, maybe selling Bellagio. And outside of TI, none of that happened, and Harrah's is even going to be buying a new property. So to me, that's really the the amazing story there is how that deconsolidation trend just totally fizzled. 
So is that, I mean, is that because of improving markets, of executive wizardry, um, uh, of just uh, prediction gone sour? I mean, why, I, I agree with you, why, well, why didn't that happen? I mean, how are these guys able to pull a rabbit out of the hat? You know, I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that there weren't the people who had the money to buy casinos didn't want to do it um, for whatever reason. I think also you've got the with regulation with the regulations and licensure. You've got a lot of extra barriers to investment. So if it had been any other business where you had that kind of opportunity, yeah, you might have seen some private equity folks swoop in and and buy some stuff. You know, also the credit just wasn't there. So even if people did want to buy it and could get licensed, they might not have been able to get the money. So I think it's it's a bunch of reasons. And I also think really the gaming industry, because of the regulatory requirements, it tends to be a much more tightly held industry than others. And I think there's higher barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense to me. Um, Chuck, what about you uh, in terms of big stories of 2009? I mean, we had some shockers, obviously. I mean, you know, maybe not uh, maybe not rate as big, huge, uh, earth-shattering stories, but, you know, death of a very prominent strip entertainer with Danny Gans in, in August. Uh, that was uh, definitely a, a big story. Um, what, what do you think in terms of 2009? Uh, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'd have to say is just the continued collapse of the economy. Uh, it is it gutted hotel room rates. It gutted everything. You know, it, it, it is the thing that has caused this theory of uh, uh, decentralization to even be able to fizzle. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it is the pressure, the one, the biggest, largest iceberg that is sitting on top of the brains of every single person in Las Vegas who works there, who uh, owns a piece of the stock or, or what have you. Uh, you know, people are, are not visiting. Rooms are down. They're, they've closed two of the three towers at uh, Sahara. You know, the Mirage is closed to, what, two-thirds of their rooms as well. Uh you know, the, the Fontainebleau plugged, pulled, gone. Uh, Echelon still, you know, even after their four-quarter, five-quarter uh, delay, uh, that thing is still dead and probably gone. Uh, the Tropicana, you know, Carl Icahn's gotten that thing for basically peanuts, and, he's get, and he put whatever peanuts he had left over to, to bid on the Fontainebleau. You know, the, the economy... The economy, the economy is the thing that has ruled the roost this year in terms of everybody's mind, the business and the people who would flock to go there. Until that turns around, including the credit markets, you know, then the water will still be deep in the desert. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I can't disagree with you there either. Uh, it's something that impacts pretty much everyone, everywhere, universally it's uh, such a big issue and you know <clears throat> hopefully for everyone's sake it'll it'll turn around though i will say that uh i don't i don't i won't miss the <clears throat> or i will miss the uh the room rates that we're seeing it's pretty awesome to be able to get some incredible rooms for uh quite a deal so jeff and uh, jeff had coined the, the phrase the golden age of las vegas visitation right uh, in a podcast earlier this year, and it, was, it wasn't shortly thereafter that it seemed like, you know, that that was over. 
like room rates were starting to tick up. Things were starting to tick up, but now it seems like, again, within the last three months, we've seen another wave of ridiculously low hotel room rates. You know, and now that City Center is online with the Mandarin and Badara and Ara, you know, it's, I think it's not going to help at all. The other people are going to, sure. you know, everybody else is going to be even it's more distressed than, yeah. than they are, and it's not going to get better. Well, that's a good segue to what's going to be important next year. I mean, look, there we have multiple unfinished properties in Las Vegas, um, Cosmopolitan, Fontainebleau, um, <laughs> Echelon. Uh, you know, we have a proposed merger between Boyd and Station. We have the performance of City Center. We have improvements at Encore. I mean – you know, some of these stories are bigger than others, but definitely many different things to be watching. Uh, it sounds like the economy is going to be the big story of 2010, too, right? I mean, what 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 will overshadow that, if anything? Suffering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. The bottom line is if no one's no one's coming, then nothing's happening, right? I mean, right. I think that's sort of the bottom line. That, <clears throat> but. Putting that aside for a minute, I mean, what what stories are interesting for 2010? I mean, definitely, I think watching City Center is really important. Uh, we may see the Cosmopolitan be finished. I doubt we'll see Fontainebleau be finished, but maybe. Um, Echelon, I think, is almost guaranteed will not be finished in 2010. Um, but you know, what are uh, what are people going to be talking about in in 2010 in terms of in terms of Las Vegas? I mean, uh, is it going to be <clears throat> You know, uh, another uh, sort of dull year. At least this one was capped by by city center. Is there anything to look forward to next year? Well, I don't know about look forward to, but if unless things improve and they can start raising the room rates, you might see more closures either of towers or of entire hotel casinos. And you know, yeah. same with the credit markets and stuff. So that might happen. That's uh, a definite. It's a definite possibility. I think really. The story is going to be how do you continue to market Las Vegas in a time when people have less money, and whoever figures that out is going to do really well. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Um, you know, it's interesting to see. We've talked a lot about Las Vegas, but you know, and I, I admit I haven't really kept on top of this. Atlantic City, Dave. I mean, Oof. you know, you typically, you know, Atlantic City. Get, seems to get hit a little bit harder when things go bad. Is that how, how are things there, and what's their prognosis for 2010? Well, they're not doing too well. Um, three casinos lost money last year just from their operational income, so not even taking into account their interest expense and that kind of thing. So, it, and I doubt it was much better this year. So it's really not looking good. Um, Pennsylvania might be getting table games. That seems like it's definitely going to happen, and if that happens, they're going to have even more. You know, that's one less thing they have that they can sell that they have that other people don't. So they are really – they've got a lot of problems. You know, they really need so, to do something to turn it around. Let's say that that does happen, that Pennsylvania does get table games. What's to stop it from from displacing Atlantic City, you know, almost completely? I mean, why would people continue to go there? I guess well, Atlantic City will still have more consolidated gaming because the Pennsylvania system is not like uh, – doesn't allow uh, that kind of – that sort of like a Las Vegas Strip type development. Am I wrong? Am I right about that? I mean, they're right about that. Fight, they're like, 
the other thing, theoretically, Atlantic City, because it has a tax, the, the effective tax rate in Pennsylvania casinos is around 55%. Tax rate in wow. Atlantic City casinos is around 9%. Theoretically, okay. Atlantic City casinos should be able to invest more in their amenities and that sort of thing to lure people in. You know, some of them have been doing that. If you look at the Borgata at Harrah's Resort, even to an extent at the Tropicana with the Quarter, you know, yeah, they've been doing that. They've got to do a lot more of that. They've got to take advantage of that. Another thing that works in their favor is let's say you are a company that has a property in Pennsylvania and one in Atlantic City. Well, you're probably going to want to, if you've got a really high, you know, big high roller there who wants to play Baccarat, you're going to want to get them on a bus and send them, or not a bus, you're going to get them in a limo or a helicopter and send them down to Atlantic City. <laughs> Although I guess that's because I just think of Atlantic City as, as bus people getting off the bus. You're going to want to get them down to Atlantic City because if they're going to be, you know, let's say they're going to be losing $2 million over the weekend, you'd rather keep 81% of that than 45% right, of that. Right, right, right. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why they try to keep the Philadelphia operators, you know, they didn't except the Trumps or the people who had interest in Atlantic City. And when Foxwoods was bidding for that license, they really downplayed their interest in Atlantic City because nobody, you know, obviously the Pennsylvania didn't want to see that happen. You know, theoretically, though, even with all the problems Atlantic City has, they should have a competitive advantage over every other jurisdiction there because they have a much lower tax rate. You know, are they going to capitalize on that? I I don't know. I I used to say that I hope they will. Now I just can say I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's grim everywhere. I mean, I I uh I you know, I feel for Atlantic City because it, they were like on the precipice of getting a bunch of really great new products and it just didn't happen. And it's really too bad because, you know, uh it, it would have been really fun to go check out a bunch of those properties if they'd actually had come to fruition. Or if they Rebel. were finished by now, Revel, right? What's Revel like, what will it, open. Revel will open <laughs> someday. And when it does, so there's a really good. Years. There's a really good bet when it does. It's going to take out the Hilton, or maybe resorts, or maybe Trump Plaza or Trump Marina. You know. So, I mean, so is that market just not big enough for new players at this point? Uh, it hasn't been. You know, they've got, they've also yeah. got declining visitation. They've, you know, it, and if you look at the, it's definitely the haves and the have-nots. And have-nots really, no, you know, nobody is going to drive for an hour or two or take the bus or even take the train so they can play nickel slots in the same kind of atmosphere that they could 20 minutes from home. I mean, that would be... That That's would be, not even as nice. Yeah. You know, it, it's not brand-new carpet and nice new lighting and good air filtration and... You know, fancy new restaurants like Emerald. You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, got a, a hot dog stand and a couple other. You know, yeah, and they pay for parking, and they've got to pay the tolls, and they got to pay the gas. You know, I mean, there's a lot of really good reasons not to go if you're coming from from Pennsylvania or even from lots of parts of New Jersey. So they've got to give them a better reason to come. And like I said, theoretically, it should be like, hey, we only pay about nine percent. We should be able to invest and and get a lot of really cool stuff here that people like. You know, yeah, that's happened for some of the properties. Hasn't happened for a lot of them, and that's what's gonna, you know, that's what's gonna do them in. Um, kind of, I've over the past two weeks or so, I've been doing a lot of update at the gaming gaming.unlv.edu uh, website, and I've been looking at a lot of the capital expenditures for the past five years, and it's really amazing seeing who puts money in and who doesn't. And Harris Entertainment has probably put more money in 
than pretty much everyone except for Borgata, and that's across all their properties. So they've done a they've done a pretty good job. The other ones, not so much. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's definitely everybody's hurting out there. So uh, other than AC, Chuck, I'll send this back to you for a second. What about Macau? I mean, how are things going there? We talk, we keep hearing the ever-present rumbling of Las Vegas Sands restarting their Kotai projects. Um, we know that Wynn Resorts will be opening their sm- pretty small, but um, probably uh, – something that will make waves in that market, their Encore project, um, and they keep talking about potentially their Kotai project. So, you know, how what's Macau's outlook like? What are what's on the on deck for them in twenty ten? Well I think I think everything in Macau is probably looking a little bit more positive than it is stateside. Uh the three uh US based operators are either have or are planning on recapitalizing their uh, Macau operations through uh, public stock offerings on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Uh, WinReady did theirs. I think the Las Vegas fans might have done theirs. I haven't been following it that much lately. But uh, an MGM, Jim Murren, said in his interview with uh, John Rolfson that uh, they were going to go public uh, early this year also. So that's going to fund a lot of things that are stalled or haven't been done. That includes uh, Hotel Row, all the, LV, uh, the LVS stuff on, on Kotai. Uh, the question is, is what is MGM Mirage going to do with, with, with that money? Um, uh, you know, there is a phase two of MGM Grand Macau, uh, which includes, like, I think a, a small theater in the back and, and a couple other entertainment complexes and maybe some more hotel rooms possibly, uh, and also the, the Kotai project. So who knows what, what exactly the plan they have for us. I think Murren might have said that the plan was really to use that to pay down debt at this uh, stage of the game. You know, uh, until visa restrictions really get loosened, They're, they've loosened them slightly, but until they really get loosened, you know, it's things are going to kind of hold status quo, but I think uh, you know getting some 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 outside investment uh, that they don't really have to pay back just by selling a you know just by selling chunks of their business is 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 a really smart move and it's going to give them a little bit of breathing room and help them maintain and build potentially in in, in the future because we know that uh, the plans for uh, Win Kotai are kind of wrapping up right now. Uh, at least in terms of the design and whatnot. Uh, so I imagine we're probably going to get some kind of announcement about that, hopefully this year, because it was supposed to come a year and a half ago, and or two years ago, actually, almost to the date. Steve said it was going to be uh, right before the turn of, the, of New Year 2008. So that's kind of where that's going to happen. Well, a a story that um, br- sort of bridges all three of those places together is the story of MG Mirage executive Gary Jacobs. So Gary Jacobs, um, longtime MGM exec, I think almost 10 years of service for the company, uh, in various jobs, general counsel being one. Um, you know, there was a story in the Las Vegas Sun on Tuesday uh, basically implying, and I, I recommend that uh, anyone that's interested read the story, but basically um, positing the notion, I should say, that 
that the his departure, he left the company, uh, I think the day after Ari opened, there was an announcement um, that his departure was tied to East Coast regulators' concerns, and by East Coast, that means the New Jersey Casino Control Commission. Um, his handling of the company's business partnership in Macau with Pansy Ho. Um, to make a long story short, um, the implication seems to be that uh, the there will be an, you know an upcoming um, hearing on the suitability of Pansy Ho as a a uh, business partner for the company who has a 50% stake in the Borgata resort, uh, you know, that they may look more favorably on the company having taken some of these actions. That seemed to be the implication of the uh, of the article. I thought it was very interesting because, you know, it was definitely noted at uh, his departure at the time that it occurred, but um, it seemed – the timing seemed strange. I mean, you know, right after the city center opened – uh, you got a fairly terse statement about uh, a significant executive leaving the company um, and no real explanation. So this – the way this story lays it out, um, you know, I don't know the inside info on this, but I buy this. Um, you know, Dave, I know you're an expert on Atlantic City. What do you, what do you think about this story? Well, well, did, did you see this story? It certainly seems reasonable. Yeah, I did. It certainly seems reasonable. Um, definitely anybody who wants to deal with New Jersey regulators after the Columbia-Sussex debacle really has to be aware that they take themselves and regulation very seriously. So certainly this it, it does seem like it's uh, logical in that light. Yeah. Um, you know, it will be it will be interesting to see. And so um, the way that this works, when should we expect to see um, the CCC rule on this? Sometime uh, in 2010, I assume. I mean, it's, it seems like it's already been going on for a while. They got a recommendation from their investigative branch. Is that how this works? Yeah, and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, these things are usually long and drawn out, and even when it's over, it might not be over. So I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it would be very interesting to see if forced with a choice – what they would do, and I think we've talked about this on the show in the past. I mean, I'm like, just my, yeah. You know, as a betting man, I would say uh, I would be surprised to see MGM walk away from the Macau market, um, but you never know. <clears throat> it would be interesting to see if they're even forced to make that to, to make that choice. But no, it's just definitely a very interesting article. And if um, you know, I know it's a busy holiday week for people, and if you didn't see this. I would definitely recommend going back to read it because it gives some very interesting background information on the whole um, on the whole setup, and uh, I think at least for me filled in a lot of the gaps in the sort of question mark of what happened with Jacobs there. I thought it was a very interesting story. Um, I think uh, we'll we'll leave it there for today and for uh, 2009. Um, I, I just want to say to you guys and Jeff, who's not here today, but the same goes for him. Um, this is doing the shows a lot of fun for me and I really appreciate it, uh, that you guys are willing to take the time to do it. And, um, I'm looking forward to doing it in 2010 and one of these years we'll have, uh, good news to report, but, um, you know, it's a lot of fun to do and I, I really appreciate it. So I just want to say thank you to you both. And um, I'm going to go around the table, and pe you can tell people where they can track you down. So, Dr. Dave, where can people find you? 
People can find me at gaming.unlv.edu and diascast.com. And also, I'd like to say thank you, Hunter, for putting this together and um, just for doing everything you do. It's really great work. Yeah, thank you, sir. Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people track you down? Well, all acquaintance be <laughs> forgotten. Happy New Year, man. You guys know where to find me. Who cares? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. That same goes for me. If you don't know where to find this by now, well, you know, you're probably lost. Um, thanks, everybody. Have a, have a great weekend. Uh, all of you listeners out there, have a fantastic uh, year. Be safe. Have fun. All that good stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in 2010.